going to be reading from John chapter 5, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, and as we do, we're going to um, see the story at the, of about a, an invalid at the pool of Bethesda. I'm going to speak about that in a moment, but I, I just wanted to tell a little story that I heard that uh, might lean into what I'm sharing. It was about an older man. He was in his 70s, and he was driving in the States, and he was on one of the freeways, and I think he was going around 40. It was a 40 zone, but a state trooper, as they sometimes do with the lights on, came behind this older gentleman, as I said, probably in his 70s, and in that moment, he got a shock, and he put his uh, pedal to the middle, and he took off, and he soared up to about, he was going about 70 in this 40 zone. Eventually, the state trooper was able to rein him in and stopped him and said, what do you think you were doing? And this man said, I don't know what came over me. Can you just help me? And the state trooper said, well, I've heard all sorts of explanations, but I'll tell you what, if you tell me one that I haven't heard before, I'll let you go. Why did you do what you did? And this older 70-year-old gentleman said, well, you know what? About 20 years ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper. And when I saw your lights behind me following me, I was terrified that you were bringing her back. <laughs> and so the state trooper said, you may go. <laughs> Not really the testimony that I'm wanting to instill here today, but I am wanting to come against explanations. We'll see that in a moment. So hold, that's the part of the story. I want you to remember the explanations. John chapter five. So we're looking at this miracle. It's the third miracle that happens in the book of John. And um, he's done some amazing things leading up to this point. But when we look at a miracle, there's a reason why it's recorded in the New Testament. It's meant to prompt us of the availability of who Jesus is to meet our needs, not just in those years gone by, but right here and right now. And so as we share this, I trust that it will provoke something in our hearts where we see this miracle of breakthrough, that there is breakthrough that's available to us as the people of God as we walk in relationship with Jesus, as he lifts us up off the mat, as we're gonna see in the story, as we become unstuck by things that have been holding us, that we're able to come up to the next level and walk in the purposes of God. Is there anyone here that needs a breakthrough today? There are, I can see hands all over. There are people that are needing a breakthrough, and we're gonna look at what that might look like, because here in this story, this man had been, uh, in a sense, they would have thought he was paralyzed physically, and maybe there's some people, as those testimonies we shared, that need a physical healing. But there are also those of us here that have been paralyzed relationally, where maybe we find ourselves in that situation in relationships where the same things keep cycling. They're going on over and over again. The same arguments, the same uh, miscommunication, the same uh, struggles and fights and tensions, and we don't seem to break out of that, and our relationships stay just at a surface level. They just seem to be a little bit superficial, and we can't seem to go to that deeper place because we've been paralyzed relationally. Some of us here may be paralyzed emotionally, where there be things that we've been struggling with in and of ourselves, where we've been caught up in this destructive place emotionally, this dark place emotionally. Maybe we might feel like we're one of that soccer team in a cave a mile deep that we've been submerged and there's no way out, and it just keeps on repeating. And we felt that we've been emotionally paralyzed. Some of us have been financially paralyzed, where we cannot get out of that cycle. We think, I finally managed to get out of this, and then we just find a couple months or a couple years down the line, and we're exactly back in that same place, and something's got to shift. There's got to be a breakthrough that happens so that we're not paralyzed financially, ongoingly. Some of us, it's in that place of being spiritually paralyzed, where we find that we, uh, in our character, 
in our spiritual person, spiritual man, spiritual woman, we're not able to, to, uh, to grow. There's no growth that's happening. We feel like we're stagnating, and maybe like the man in the story, it might feel like for 38 years, there's been no growth, there's been no life, there's been no going forward. And, and there's areas where we can tell there are the character defects, where there are those bad habits, where there is that ongoing sin cycle that we just cannot get free of. And in the story, we see Jesus meeting someone like that, someone struggling and breaking them into freedom. Now, I don't want us to sit here today and think, honey, to our spouse or sweetie to our spouse, this message is for you. I don't want you to sit here and think of the three other people that you're seeing the empty seats and thinking, I hope they get the podcast. Let me email Stacy. I don't want you to be thinking like that. I want you to be realizing that there's breakthrough for you. There is breakthrough for you here this morning. Because wherever Jesus is, breakthrough is present. And we know where two or more gathered in his name, he is here. So we know that we need breakthrough in God to do something significant in our life. And here in the story, we find someone in that place, that same situation, that same rut, that same ongoing thing that just seemed to cycle, that seemed to repeat. And yet on this day, this person who's stuck in that same place is in the right place at the right time because unbeknownst to him, Jesus is making his way to the pool of Bethesda. John 5 verse one. Sometime later, so there's been amazing things happening in the previous chapters, but sometime later, verse, I mean chapter five starts with, it says Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which is in Aramaic called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five uh, covered colonnades. The sheep gate is the place where the sheep would be brought in for the sacrifice. It's quite significant that this is where Jesus is heading in. I had the privilege of going to Israel and seeing the pool of Bethesda. And when I was there, it amazed me because there were no waters in it. And I was thinking, I just wanna take a jar and fill up and say I've got waters from the pool of Bethesda. But the, the pool was empty. I'll get to that a little bit further. But verse three says this, here. Everybody say here. Here, Here, there were a great number of disabled people that used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. I want you to just picture that it's here as we're saying it. The addicted, add what you want, the cynical, the discouraged, the depressed, the hopeless, whatever weakness you might be facing, whatever condition you might be facing, whatever struggle you might be facing, that was happening here. I can see, men, there's a couple blank looks. If you're wondering if there's weakness or a condition in your life and you're thinking, I just can't think of one, just ask your wife and she can uh, help you out lovingly because she wants the best for you, calling out the goal. And so we see this is what's happening in this place here. Some commentaries actually say that the people would gather and they would be grouped according to their sickness. So the lame would be in one point, the blind would be in one point, the invalids would be in one point, because sometimes, how how many of you have realized that misery likes company? Sometimes we tend to gravitate and congregate together and to start to find comfort in that place. And this is what's happening here. But I love this because you see what's happening here. These people, the condition they're in, their disability, their brokenness, the hardship that they're facing, And something that's quite interesting is whenever you see the rich and famous travel the world, you'll see their feet invariably never take them to those sort of places, but always take them to the places where other rich and famous people gather. 
But we see something here with Jesus where his feet lead him. It leads him to those that are in the greatest suffering and those that are in the greatest need. And Jesus is making himself his way through even the sheep grate as the sacrifice, but he's got an eye and a heart for people's need, for people's brokenness. And he starts to make his way towards a man. I'm gonna jump to verse five because some translations don't, the older manuscripts don't have verse four. And so we'll, we'll speak about that a little bit later and pull that in. But verse five says this, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. It's a picture of 38 years of the, of the peoples wandering in the desert where they wandered for 38 years um, that we read about in Deuteronomy 2 verse 14. And it was saying that they had wandered in the, in the desert because they never took hold of, they never were able to, to get the promises of God. And that's what it's a picture of with this invalid who has been in that situation for 38 years. Verse six, and when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, say a long time, a long time. Some of us have been in a certain condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? You know, there's a question that he provokes that he hopes to stir faith in your heart so that you might not rest in that condition for a long time, that you might not just get comfortable with that which is surrounding you, where he asks you the question, do you want to get well? He didn't just say, let's just bypass this situation. This, this person's been an invalid for 38 years. He knew it through word of knowledge, um, like with Nathaniel, like with the lady in Samaria, he knew it. Uh, the NIV says learned it, but other uh, versions and commentaries have it more accurately, accurately that he knew it. He didn't just say, you know, this is Richard. He's always been that way. He's gonna stay that way. I'm not even gonna waste my time. I'm gonna get drawn into a hard situation. I, I'm just gonna pass on by. He didn't say that. He looked for the worst situation, approached it directly and unapologetically because he knew what he carried, what he had to offer. And sometimes we come to church and we think God can only deal with those parts of our lives that are presentable, those parts of our lives that look in order, those parts of our lives that look neat and tidy. But here's a man in the worst situation, the worst condition, and this is where Jesus is making a, a beeline for him because breakthrough happens when we are willing to expose the brokenness that we have in that place. Breakthrough happens when we're willing to acknowledge the brokenness in that place, when we're not trying to hide from it, but we can embrace it and saying, I want you the one who brings breakthrough to engage with my brokenness so that I can be brought through into a new area, a new space, a new freedom in my life with you. And so that's what happens in this situation because that guy was in that place, he was that person in that situation and Jesus comes to him and he asks him a question, do you want to get well? Basically what that means if you, you look in the commentaries, it's Jesus saying, I know what I carry and do you want what I have for you? When Jesus asks you a question, he's wanting to bring you into relationship with him. He's wanting to bring you into fullness. He's never wanting to hold you at arm's length. The rich young man didn't realize that, that he was being invited into greater riches, not lesser riches. He didn't understand and left, and Jesus loved him. But he says, do you want to get well? Do you want what I have for you? And I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. He, this prince of preachers who passed away in the 1890s, he, he described, he preached on this same message and he had titled it where, because uh, in the King James, it mentions in that invalid state, that paralyzed state, it mentions that um, the, those people were in a place of impotence. And this is the, what he titles it, it, it titles it, he says, when impotence meets omnipotence. Isn't that powerful? What that means is, uh, impotence means that you're unable to take effective action. 
It means you're helpless or powerless. That's why Jesus is coming up to this man, because he sees in these people that they are impotent. He sees that they are unable to take effective action. He sees that they are helpless, that they are powerless, and the one who is all-powerful comes to engage them, to bring them into a place where they might be not only help, but a help to others, where they might not be ineffective, but effective for the kingdom, where they might not be powerless and the victim of what's taking place around them, but they can stand up as more, more than overcovers because of the one who has overcome, bringing them into the fullness of what he carries. Do you want to get well? That's what he's asking. There's a power and a grace in that question that provokes faith, that if we combine our faith with what he's saying, we can come into new areas of freedom and breakthrough. That's the place where breakthrough begins. And so this place, this time, breakthrough can begin. And sometimes we come to church year after year. We sing songs and thousands of songs. We sit under thousands of sermons and we, we enjoy that, but we have no intention to change. Even when we encounter them in the songs, even when we encounter them in those times of worship, encounter them in the word, encounter them in the preaching, encounter them in the times of ministry, and we love the entertainment factor, we love what we might feel in the moment, but we have no intention to change. In Hebrews 4, you can read about that, where it says they sat under the word, but it didn't do anything for them because they didn't combine faith to what was being said. And so there's something that needs to change because we like the idea of change. We're favorable to God changing our situations, but we're a little bit less favorable to God changing us. And here at the Pool of Bethesda, we see that there are people that have been in their condition for a long time. There have been those that have been uh, broken for a long time. And he's coming to, to change something in their situation. And you know, it's easy to hide where uh, there's maybe been emotional um, disabilities. It might be easy to hide where maybe there's been spiritual conditions that we've been in, uh, maybe more so than those physical conditions. But we, we, we're only lying to ourselves. And he's coming and he's asking a question. And in the honesty and the integrity of who we are and where we're finding ourselves, how are we responding to him? And maybe you know an area of your life that needs to change. Maybe you know an area of your life that needs breakthrough. You know, if people were asked this, they say that 90% uh, um, of people asked uh, if they need a breakthrough. They say, yes, I need a breakthrough in the situation I'm facing. I need a breakthrough in my relationships that are surrounding me. I need a breakthrough in my child and my child's behavior. I need a breakthrough in my work environment. It's not often that you hear them say, I need a breakthrough in me. I had a friend who, um, who came and spoke to me in this last week and, and uh, I've been thinking about it and said I'd think about it and come back to him because he's got a desire, he's got a hunger in his heart for the things of God and he's saying, George, you know, I wanna just go further with God, deeper with God, I wanna get to the next level, I don't wanna stagnate and he said, George, but I feel like there's, there's hoops I need to jump through. Why do I feel like there's hoops I need to jump through so that I can get to that next level, so that I can get to that breakthrough? And in that moment, I said to this individual, I said, let me think about it and let me pray about it. And you know what? When I was preparing this message, I felt the Lord speak to me about what that hoop was. Sometimes the hoops we need to jump through are there for a reason. There are hoops to jump through. And sometimes the hoop you need to jump through, that hoop is you. You need to get through yourself. You need to get beyond yourself because we can get a little bit narcissistic where it becomes all about us and everyone else around us is, is holding us back. But the Lord is wanting to bring you in freedom. And if you can have that 
question to ask, uh, how do I get to that next place? And there's an honesty in your heart, then what he reveals about yourself, that's not actually who you are, but maybe who you were, that's holding you back from being who you truly are in God, then maybe you'll have the courage, the bravery, the insight, and the foresight to step out of that place and step into who you're called to be. But it takes courage, and it takes realizing that maybe it's me that needs to change. Instead of saying, Lord, uh, you know, it would be great if you changed my marriage. It would be great if you changed that situation and give me that. The thing is, start right here. Start with me. Start in my life. Start in my heart. Start with the, the hidden place that no one else sees. Don't worry so much about there. Let it be an inward change that causes an outward shift wherever I go. Because Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Let that be the starting point for the breakthrough and the change and the shift that you're wanting to bring in my life. And Jesus walks right up to the guy and he asks him this, him this question, do you wanna get well? What he's really asking is this, do you really wanna change? Not do you want it to change, but do you want you to change? Do you really wanna get well? Not do you wanna feel better, because there's a difference. You know, we can come to church to feel better but never get well. We can come to church to feel comfort and never change. But are we coming in that place and saying, Lord, I wanna, I wanna be transformed into all that you have? You see, in this situation, there were five colonnades that they were resting under the shade of. And sometimes five can speak about the Torah, the, the five books of the law. And sometimes uh, we heard that that's referred to as the shadow before the substance being Jesus would come. And these people would, uh, they would rest in this place and there was a sense of comfort. They knew their breakthrough was near, but they could be under the shade. They could be together. They could be in their condition. They could find comfort. They could really start to, uh, to engage with each other in their dysfunction. And that abnormal place became a normal place for them because in their mindset, there could be that thing of some things never change. You see, this is where we see the verse four that was missing because that place, the pool of Bethesda, that word Bethesda means the house of mercy, means the house of kindness, the house of grace. And one other commentary says it's the place of outpouring. And verse four would say, sorry, verse four would say, from time to time, the angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, and the first one into that pool after such a disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. So the angels would come down, stir the waters, and then uh, there would be this opportunity to get in and receive the miracle. And here's what we often fall into. We are saying, Lord, I want you to come down. I want you to change my situation. Lord, send an angel, come and stir it, come and shift it, come and cause the bubbling up so that I can come out of the shade and get into that place. But what we don't realize is there's an old system that was just a shadow, and Jesus doesn't wanna leave us in that place just with others in our discomfort, our condition, and our brokenness, but five is also the number of grace. And as they was resting under those five colonnades in John chapter five, the one who is full of grace, compassionate and gracious, carrying all grace and truth, was coming to meet with them, saying, you don't need to wait for the waters to be stirred because I am the one who is the river of life. And when you couldn't get into the water, I, the water, the wellspring of life, the river of life, am coming to you. Because under religion, you would have been lost. You wouldn't be able to get there. You were broken. You were in a bad condition. You weren't acceptable. You would have been lost. But in grace, I come, and I go to the person who would have been lost and saying, this is a moment I'm putting you first. 
because your moment of breakthrough has arrived and it's in the person of Jesus. And the more desperate the situation, the greater the opportunity for a miracle. Do you want to get well? And it's interesting because you would think the answer would be yes or no. It's not a confusing question that's being asked. But his response isn't yes or no. His response is, I can't. Sometimes Jesus comes and he's asking a question of us today in the condition we're in. And we cannot respond to what he's asking because we're caught up in ourselves and we're saying, I can't. Verse seven, sir, the invalid replied to the question Jesus asked. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I have no one. You didn't expect him to answer that. See, it's interesting that in the presence of an unlimited God, we can sometimes get stuck in our own explanations. That's what I was saying in that little joke with that guy with the explanation. Sometimes in the presence of an unlimited God, we get stuck in our own explanations that hold us at arm's length from the miracle, the breakthrough, and from the person of Jesus and what he's wanting to do in our lives. You see, he, he was right in saying everything he said. It, it was a fact, it was true. But if he knew the one standing before him, he would knew that, uh, that faith can supersede the facts when it's anchored into the one who is faithful. But he never had eyes to see who was standing before him. And he started to explain to Jesus, actually Jesus, this is the way, he didn't know it was Jesus at that time. But he's saying to this man, actually, this is the way things work here. You know, there's a pool and I need somebody, not just anybody. A little bit of a Beatles song. Help, I need somebody. Anyway, I won't sing it. I would need somebody, but uh, <laughs> I need somebody. I don't have anybody. I need someone to appreciate me. I need someone to help me. I need someone to make a way for me. I need someone to come and um, affirm me. I need someone to be nice to me. I need someone to help me. And he says this, and in the original language, it wouldn't say, so I have no one. It would, be, it would say, so I have no man. There's no man to do this for me, so I cannot have your miracle. There's no man to do this, so I cannot have the breakthrough. There's no man to do this, so I cannot experience the surging and the rivers of life, the springs of life, the wells of life. You see, we often struggle with an issue of dependency. He depended on others for breakthrough. He was depending on others for his healing. He was depending on others for his miracle. And when you depend on others rather than depending on God, we can often miss out on the fullness of what God has purposed for us. You see, his focus was on the means to the miracle. I need to get in the water so much so that he couldn't recognize the miracle worker that was standing before him. Sometimes we get caught up on the means rather than on the man, the son of man, the Lord of the Sabbath, the river of life, the wellspring of life who was standing before him. You see, when you depend on others more than you depend on God, you can allow your condition to define you, your dysfunction to define you, your lack of healing to define you, your disability to define you. You can allow those things to define you. But I wanna say this, I wanna encourage you, I want you to turn to someone near you and say, I'm no longer gonna depend on all these things, I'm gonna depend wholly on God. Can I get you to say that to someone? Depend on God. So we see Jesus coming up to this man and the breakthrough is gonna start to occur where the excuses stop. And he's been saying, I don't have anyone, I've been in this place a long time. Aren't you glad that God sometimes ignores our responses? 
He steps right over our excuses to engage with us in the reality of where we are. And he gives a command. I loved what Susan said. It was a week or two weeks ago that miracles often happen through the act of obedience. There's something where it says that if you love me, you will obey me. There's a love-filled obedience that opens up miraculous when we start to respond in that way. And he was saying, I've got no one to help me. And then Jesus says to him, get up, get off your mat. And everyone is shocked. Because how could Jesus, the gracious and compassionate one, say to this poor man, this invalid, on his mat, who's been there for 38 years, who's, who's had no one to help him, how could Jesus say to this man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? Hashtag insensitive, <laughs> offensive, my world is broken. <laughs> I love what Christine Kane said. She had shared on this passage uh, uh, at a conference probably a little while ago, and, and this is what she said. She said, there's a spirit that's telling a generation to sit on the mat, to tweet about it, to do Facebook posts about it, to Instagram about your mat, saying, why don't you put a different filter and angle on your mat and pimp it up a bit to get a little bit of likes out there. There's a little bit of attraction around the mat, and sometimes we think that it's compassionate to just engage with people with the mat, but at the best, that's sympathy that's providing them enablement to stay in that place. You see, we make the mat the hero instead of turning the focus to the one who is the hero who comes and takes us off the mat. You see, sympathy will feel pity for the place that you're in, but compassion will meet you in that place so that it can lift you up, raise you up, stand you up, and bring you into a better place. And we've never been called to be a people of pity or sympathy, but a people of compassion moved with the compassion of God. And so Jesus engages and says, do you want to get well? Because there's a generation that's in need of experiencing someone who's walking, not only having been helped, but they're able to help. Someone that's walking in an effective place of action. Someone who's got power in their life because they've been made well by the one who empowers us with his grace. And there's a generation that's waiting on the other side of your obedience if you'll only get up off your mat. And Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? And he's not just looking at you and your situation, but he's seeing everything shifting in and around you for generation and legacy. Because your breakthrough brings other people into breakthrough. That's how the kingdom works. And he's got this desire in his heart to, to come counter the culture of the day where the culture of the, the, the day is enablement. He's wanting to bring the culture of heaven, which is a culture of transformation and empowerment that positions you in your identity and propels you into your destiny. So I want to encourage you to, to turn someone, to, this is going to sound a little bit rough, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's not politically correct. We'll censor it. Tell someone next to you, tell your issues they're getting no more tissues. Can you say to someone, tell your issues they're getting no more tissues. Tell the other person, the one that you had ignored before they get their tissue because they feel rejected, tell them I'm getting up. I'm standing up. I'm picking up my mat. Because some of us need a perspective shift because we've been on our mat so long that we've been viewing God, his kingdom, and the life that he has for us from that position of the mat. And he's saying, stand up. I want you to get a new perspective so you can get new vision, so that you can see new vistas, so that you can see new landscape, so that you might not feel claustrophobic and it's all rocky around you, but you can have a, a different perspective, a God perspective, a heavenly perspective that pulls you out of your misery and off your mat. Verse eight, 
Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which that took place was the Sabbath. You see, I love this because when the Lord demands something of you, you've got to have the strength to keep it. But when Jesus says something to you, he's full of grace and truth. His grace meets you where you're at. It empowers you. It brings truth that sets you into freedom so that you can walk carried by his spirit in what he's asking you to do. So this man stands up. How can he stand up? He's an invalid. He stands up because there's faith that's been provoked in his heart by the question Jesus asks. And it says he picks up his mat and he walks and he's healed. Do you see? It doesn't mention him standing up. Standing up was the act of obedience in faith to what God had said. It says he was healed when he picked up his mat and walked. Sometimes we've got to take a step of faith. Here's a key. So often we're waiting for God to do something, but his word is living and active, and sometimes we've got to move into action. We've got to believe it, do it, act upon what he is saying, and as we act upon it in obedience, the miraculous unfolds. So often we're waiting for the miracle to happen, and then I'm going to obey. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. Because there's gotta be faith in your heart. You see, when Jesus does the miracle, he says, stretch out your withered hand. When Jesus does the miracle, he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. When Jesus does the miracle, he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. He could do it for you, but he's wanting to do it in you. So something shifts. Verse 10. And so the Jewish leaders said to him, said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. This man's been an invalid for 38 years. It said in Jewish antiquity, he would have been an invalid for longer than many people lived for. They probably all knew him. And the first thing they can say when they see him is who told you to pick up your mat and walk? You see, religion hates to see the breakthrough and wants to keep you in the entrapment. But he replied, you ask me who? The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. You see, an authentic encounter with Jesus empowers you to do what you couldn't do before. An authentic encounter with Jesus will empower you to do what you couldn't do before. And he picked up his mat. Why is it significant that he picked up his mat? Because if he hadn't, there would have been an expectation in people's minds that he could always return there. He always had a plan B. He could always go back to that old way of life. He could always go back to that condition, that dysfunction, that place of paralysis. But when you pick up your mat, you are telling yourself, you are telling heaven, you are telling hell, you are telling your friends, you are telling your enemies, I don't live there anymore. Something has shifted and something has changed and I'm not going back. I'm not allowing that thing to hold me anymore, but I'm gonna stand up and pick it up and I'm gonna carry it and walk into the destiny because his grace has found me and empowered me because I had no man, but the son of man appeared in my situation. And when he spoke, something shifted in my heart in love where it wasn't legal obligation, but I was inspired and loved to listen. And when I obeyed what he said, coming from his grace and truth, the miraculous unfolded in my life. Tell your neighbor, pick up your mat. Verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Who's this fellow that told you to do that? They're basically saying, who gives you the right to carry that? Who gives you the right to carry your mat? You see, when you're walking in breakthrough and freedom and your miracle, there'll be questions that come because that sort of kingdom life provokes questions because there's a question in every heart. 
And it could be hit initially with judgment, but they're all looking for the reality. Who gives you the right to carry that mat? They could have basically be saying this. Who gives you the right to praise the way that you praise? Who gives you the right to believe the way that you believe? Who gives you the right to pray like you pray, to shout like you shout, to live like you live? Who has given you that right? And his response is this, the one that healed me. He's saying the one that delivered me, the one that set me free, the one that saved me, the one that changed me, the one that found me, the one that didn't walk around me but came to me. He is the one that gave me the right to pray like this, believe like this, sing like this, shout like this, live like this, live in my breakthrough, take my breakthrough, pick it up and run and shout the good news to others. He is the one who has set me free. And they're saying, but it's the Sabbath, it's not your time for breakthrough, and they don't realize he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't made. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Really what's being said in this moment, what God's revealing is God will do it when people say he's not supposed to do it. God will do it when hell says he's not supposed to do it. God will do it when your flesh says it's not time for him to do it. God will do it when your circumstances are saying it's impossible. God will do it when your pastor is saying you cannot go forward. God will do it because he sets the calendar. He sets the time. And he has declared over us it's the day, it's the year of his favor. He will do it on the Sabbath. He will do it in the midst of the storm. He'll do it in the midst of the fiery furnace. He'll do it when the murderous mob is closing in upon you. He'll do it when Lazarus has been declared dead for four years. He will do it when he wants to do it because he operates in his own timing. Isaiah 60 verse 22 says, when the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. Verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the table and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. You see, I love this because Jesus met him in his brokenness, but he found him in the temple. See, your healing will give you access to places where you could never go before. And in the midst of that moment, Jesus says, see you are well, there was joy in his heart. You, you obeyed, you listened, see you are well. You have been, become effective again. You've be, become not only help, but you've become helpful. You have become, there's something powerful about who you are, that you can move into the praise of God freely, the house of God freely, the purposes of God freely. But see that you sin no more. Sure, my grace has found you. My grace is more than enough. My grace is more than sufficient. But I wanna encourage you, it's not only the Pharisees and the legal who want to keep you on the mat, but sin wants to put you there and render you ineffective again. But look, you are well, you are powerful, you are whole, you've got purpose, you are effective. Don't allow yourself to go back to that. Keep moving forward And what I have for you because breakthrough is upon you and you carry it for others. Your breakthrough brings others into breakthrough. I wanna pray for us at this point. If we can just stand.